0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 220 for Monday, November 21st, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend, as the internet knows him, Pitsariffs. Hello.
1: Hi. Hi. Uh, If if you're feeling especially royal this week, uh, you may want to listen to The Render Distance, where Joel gives his (laughs) thoughts on The Crown, ...on Netflix. Uh, that, the Render Distance, by the way, is the extended version of the podcast, if you're not familiar. You can get an extended version of the podcast by signing up to our Patreon. Supporting the show at any level gets you all sorts of bonuses, but gets you also... Uh, the render distance where we talk for an extra 15 to 20 minutes at the beginning and end of the show, uh, usually about what we've been doing this week, but sometimes about extra Minecraft topics that we weren't able to cover in the main show. Uh, always worth a listen. That's at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. And the other thing you get for becoming a patron at this time of the month is the monthly Minecraft hangout. On Saturday, 26th of November, we'll be doing our usual monthly hangout now where we get together with our patrons in Discord. They throw a bunch of screenshots in the chat of what they've been building, and we talk about in the minecraft community and what everybody has been up to this month so that's always a highlight of the month and you can also stay tuned for announcements about the december hangout since the last two weekends of december are going to be christmas eve and new year's eve we're probably going to do something a bit different in december but that's still yet to be decided so patrons should stay tuned for that one
0: so what have you been up to in your minecraft world this week my friend
1: Well, my minecraft world lately is the empire's smp and only the empire's smp uh i've just been throwing everything i can at this project and with the hermits being around and building all of these big farms it's kind of encouraged me to take on some of the technical projects that i'd sort of been putting off because they didn't feel like they had a place in the series until now so last week i talked a bit about the enderman farm i was building with ijevin we tricked the game into spawning a custom location for an end return gateway from the central island out to a section of the void that's about 700 blocks out from zero so it's not quite at that outer ring of islands Uh, i did a bit of extra stuff there making the enderman farm look pretty and decorating around the gateway making sure there was easy access up and down from the platform that takes you there and overall it's a really fun project now. I've also got a minecart track leading to it and I discovered in the process of having a minecart with a player riding it going through one of these gateways that it really glitches out visually. Like you end up having to go through and if you don't get kicked out of the minecart automatically by an activator rail, you just get flickering pictures of the distant end islands as though you're still traveling to them but not quite making it there and I have to re-log out of Minecraft and back in before everything stabilizes again. It oh, doesn't wow. throw me into the void or anything, but it's yeah, it's it's not great to look at if you're photosensitive. So um, with that in mind, I installed an activator rail, basically, as soon as you come back through the portal to kick you out, and that minimized all of the flickering issues, which was good. Um, but yeah, I think it was a really interesting project to effectively have a minecart rail that you could travel and just press a button and then you're at the enderman farm uh it's a bit of a trip underneath the end island to to get to this gateway because i forget exactly where the spawn platform is but it's usually in one corner if you're thinking of the end island as sort of vaguely square it's in one of the bottom left or bottom right corners and the gateway we got was north so we ended up having to go like at a right angle to get to it But then once I decorated the end farm, I think it's kind of fun to to have on the server now. Outside of that, I've been working on a Wither Skeleton farm. I got three crossroads of a nether fortress in a warped forest biome, so the only thing that spawns around there is Enderman. It's been a very Enderman-focused week, I guess, but now I have a huge spawning platform covered in Wither Roses so that only Wither Skeletons can spawn, and it fills up very quickly. Um, The next stage is getting them all congregating in one place automatically, luring them in with piglins, and then probably pushing them around using pistons to get them into the same place because I'm grabbing them over such a large area that to collect them all into one spot the player can you know stand out an afk or babysit the farm but not have to move around too much it was going to be a bit of a task but I'm working in a creative world on some of the mechanisms behind that probably using blue ice to push them around using blue ice and slime blocks and that kind of thing so having a bit of fun with it at least and making it a mechanism that I can ultimately be proud of at the end of the day
0: Must be a lot of fun to break out from all the creative, you know, world building and and um architectural and uh archaeological stuff that you've been working on the server and then move into like this very technical more free form. Like I'm looking at the Enderman farm in particular and, and seeing like the concentric rings and like a gradient and just, it, it has an energy to it. Like it looks very sci-fi and just kind of like that kind of thing that you get to do with Minecraft. And especially I find in the void where you're just kind of like, I just want shapes. I just yeah. want to cool, make some cool concentric shapes, repeat a pattern, add some fun color that I normally wouldn't be able to do and and just call it a day and and then still have it be like an effective effective farm. But there there's something to be said for like, they all seem to have, you know, farms in general have to have either boxes or platforms. There's a lot of straight edges, a lot of straight lines, because that's how they are as efficient as you can make them be. But ultimately, they kind of look boring, or they look the same as everybody else's, because especially if you're following like a, a farm design, um, or a known mechanic that works, then there's really only kind of one way to make them. Um, so to make them unique in a way is, is really, really cool. And I love what you did with the gradient. It looks like you've got mud bricks, and acacia and i want to say the new mangrove wood is in there too
1: it's it's six wood types it's crimson oh. mangrove acacia jungle oak uh birch and then it's sandstone and uh, smooth sandstone smooth quartz and then okay. the the bottom uh section of it around the base of the farm also has to have a layer of white carpet and that i find is the major restriction when it comes to this stuff i was imagining that from this portal we could build like a slope like almost like a path that leads down and have a bit of almost custom landscaping out there so it felt more like a floating island but i quickly realized that wasn't going to be very viable because endermen were going Mm. to either spawn there or teleport to there from the farm so that's why i ended up going with the geometric shapes having stuff built out of slabs or carpets to minimize the spawn potential of it or make it out of leaves which are a block that while endermen can walk on them I don't think they can teleport to them because of the transparency so yeah I I was sort of working with limitations there that I wasn't too happy with but was quite happy with the end result and I do like the gradient between all of those different wood colors now I think mangrove is a really nice bridge between crimson and acacia and for stuff like this it sort of implies almost like a tesla coil kind of thing or like a a, a heat Mm -hmm. coil almost and it's like the levels of, of heat that it gives off gives it a more industrial feel, even though the thing it's surrounding is really just a stone platform.
0: Yeah, no, that, it, that makes a lot of sense. And I think I ran into the same thing with my Enderman farm, where you like, you wanted to make it look cool, but then you realize you got to put hot pink carpet or magenta yeah. carpet on everything. <laughs> yes, yes. And in some way, those look cool in a sci-fi way, because if you start putting things on string or if you start uh, um, double stacking carpet, then you've got these very thin pixel wide ledge that looks kind of like impossible even in minecraft and so it looks very sci-fi to have like these floating edges and razor sharp lines in some of your farms but but yeah it gets frustrating with your design ideas because like oh this is gonna be great and then you realize crap it's not just non-spawnable it has to be Mm non-teleportation you know um a bull i'm not sure if that's a right (laughs) but like you have to block teleports which is i think is is tedious in an enderman farm
1: yeah the The, uh the tedious part of the Wither Rose farm was gathering the Wither Roses in the first place, but I want to, cool. obviously, like, a lot of people have been using farms from ENX 4 lately, and I browsed over to YouTube to try and clarify something about what I'd heard people do, which is use snow golems in order to farm Wither Roses, because you can just, you know, craft as, as many of them, build as many golems as you want to, and you save time waiting for, like, chickens to grow up and lay eggs and that kind of stuff if you want to just spawn a bunch underneath the end return portal so that the wither stays contained I didn't feel like setting up the enderman powered with a rose farm and ENXO4 has a really straightforward farm design to build where you craft the snow golem, a dispenser places the pumpkin for you but then another dispenser immediately shears the pumpkin off so you get the carved pumpkins returned to you every time and you're, you're doing this with an observer triggering both of the dispensers so that you know everything just runs on a single redstone circuit all you have to do is place the snow blocks and then they just naturally wander underneath the end portal to get killed by the wither over and over again you have to pick the drops up manually but you get more than enough snow from that to rebuild the snow golems and you get a stack of wither roses each time if you put a stack of pumpkins in the dispenser and really the only thing you're fighting at that point is the despawn timer on the items so that worked tremendously well i got a probably a a shulker box and a half of, of wither roses and that should be enough to do a couple of spawning platforms in this wither skeleton farm so i'm most of the way there on that it's just putting the time in to get the rest of it taken care of
0: nice i i need to check out more from e 4 because I, i'm starting to hear their handle pushed around a lot yes yeah. these farms and they look to be like fairly low labor like it's a quick way to kind of get things up and running
1: yeah, Minecraft and. Elegance is, I believe, the series that the this farm uh, and the uh, copper farm that I built with Azuma come from, and mm-hmm. it really specializes in presenting farms which are very straightforward to build, take a matter of minutes to set up in a lot of cases, and everything is sort of done for you. There are little touches like having barrels to store your equipment in if it's going to generate a lot of resources that you want to hold in your inventory and that kind of stuff so yeah a lot of thought has gone into that and it seems like a refinement of mechanics that the community has you know touched on in the past um ian seems very good at citing sources mentioning nembon for the the drown farm reinforcement mechanic that led to the the copper farm so yeah i think uh, worth checking out if anybody's interested in the more technical side of things and wants to make things easier for them Right on.
0: Well, I have been moving on into uh, other things now that I have completed the West Inn in uh, the Citadel and uh, working in West Hill. Uh, It's been really fun to kind of get this kind of, um, I guess, progress happening, considering that the last few weeks have been spent on just one mansion build. So while it was four or five streams to finish the inn, that is only like two weeks on the calendar, uh, which I thought was, um, pretty fast, all things considered. And, uh, so then this past week or after finishing the end last weekend, uh, I also moved on into doing that. I called the, the builds between builds, which was not something that I mentioned. It was, a, it was a comment from someone in my, in my chat. And I forgot how much I like this part of the build. So, After going through and doing, like, outside details on the inn, like, the balconies, adding chairs from the tables and chairs data pack, putting flower pots on tables, um, getting a lot of stuff going on inside uh, with, like, um, the pub and just putting, like, you know, we've got the mini block data pack as well. So, like, barrels that are mini blocks, they look like mini kegs of alcohol, right? So, like, it, beer or wine or spirits or meat or whatever. And so, I was really able to kind of, like, deck out the the area and make it look kind of livable not that you're ever going to see it but i added a cold cellar to it just because there was room for a staircase and it made the alleyway feel smaller so i added this side stair and it was just i like putting rooms together that have just random things piled up together like pumpkins and logs and i hung some uh quartz or Uh, from the ceiling to make it look like some meat was being cured in the basement. And Mm -hmm. uh, I like putting different blocks in a surrounding of trapdoors, and it usually has them look like things like spices or salt. Uh, In this case, I used um, mangrove wood, stripped mangrove wood uh, to just, I don't know what it is. I'm not sure what it would be. It just, maybe it's a, it's spice. Maybe it's some sort of powder. I'm not sure what it is, but it just, I like the color of it just as a way to, Put something different that wasn't just brown or white. You yeah, know, yeah, in in these areas, got a
1: barrel it, of paprika down there or something. That's sure, what it, what yeah, like immediately brings to mind for me. Yeah,
0: it uh, could be something. Could be something like you know uh, you could even go as far as like maybe it's grapes or maybe it's some other kind of fermenting mm-hmm, thing happening yeah. for for alcohol and I just that kind of stuff I thought was was a, a nice touch. Um, but really, where I was having the most fun this week was putting in like the paths adding in a couple of custom trees. Now I didn't do any texturing because there's still a couple builds that need to be final, uh, including the house between the inn and the barracks. And also we've I've got some barrack bunk houses and some things that are like attached to the curtain wall that now give us access to the curtain wall. And I'm really lucky in the way that some of these things hook up, like a little bit of landscaping inside. And all of a sudden I have a straight shot into the tower and across the Like the water gate that that holds back the river uh, across the front, you know, like north part of the tower. Like it just, there's so many little happy accidents and these paths that I keep on leaning into Mm -hmm. and I love finding them and refining them. And one of the things that I've challenged myself with is not removing trees, if at all possible. And what I end up doing as a quick way to do custom trees is not really move the whole tree, but just move the trunk. So if a tree is kind of in your way where you want to build a path and it would be better like a block or two to the left or the right, I move the bottom and then I custom like arc the trunk so that it connects to where the original top was. And as long as the top isn't really invading any space, I might trim it a little bit to kind of be able to see some things around or in some cases add to it, maybe make a tree that's too short, a little bit taller just to add some variety. And I find it such a quick way to add custom trees and I find it really guides your eye because you can frame a door, you can frame a pathway, you can create a, a block like if you've got a fork in your in your little path one of the best ways to kind of make a player choose and look left or right is to put a tree right in the middle of the fork Mm -hmm. so that you can't just walk straight you have to go either left or right and you have to examine what is left and what is right and it makes you kind of oh there's a build over there maybe i'll go check that out and i like that kind of control of the player eye and that kind of stuff so um i didn't really complete any of these new builds It, it was more like figuring out where the path was going to go roughly, putting in some thickets and some low bushes. Uh, also, framing out like the attachments to the curtain wall, the barracks bunkhouse, and then I did get the final block selection in on the house that's on the street between the inn and the um, the barracks, and it is stripped dark oak with mud brick. And I've done dark oak and mud brick in a roof before, but this is like a wall situation. And again, it really looks good. The contrast between like the dark, warm, dark oak and the warm mud bricks, uh, especially because you've got mud brick on the bottom as like a foundation. And then you can use packed mud as almost like a stucco Mm -hmm. as it kind of goes up the wall. And so I've really been enjoying that process. It still has a a plain old spruce roof on it because it's a work in progress. So I've got to work out how to... um, how to get some stuff going with, with the, the roof to make it a little bit more interesting. Uh, the, the build does have a small tower on the front and that took me a while to figure out. I was going to make it out of mud brick, but it was too busy. And I just, I keep on defaulting to the same pattern. And I was really happy with breaking out of it because the bottom of things like towers and houses, I tend to default to stone because you think sturdy, foundational, like something robust, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I made the bottom of this tower out of logs because- You can, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and it made such a world of difference because I was so frustrated with like, I don't want to make it gray. I've only got two different or three different gray blocks I can even choose from. And they're all medium gray. Everything else was too dark. And so finding that I could use the same logs or rather um, dark oak that still had the bark on on the bottom and then gradually have it strip as it goes up higher. Like it just made a world of difference in making this feel more like a unique build. And I find one of the challenging parts of making these little in-between builds is like you've got a key build like the end that you really like and you don't want to change. And you've got a key build like the barracks that you don't want to change either. And trying to fit something in that is interesting that doesn't clash with yeah. things to the left and right and across the street is it's starting to get difficult because as I get farther and farther into West Hill there's less to do <laughs> yeah and there's and there's more stuff around to not clash with right so it's it's becoming challenging
1: I expect you're gonna to get to a point where you're wandering around and the town is functionally done but every so often you notice like a, a bare couple of blocks that you're like oh i could squeeze a detail in there i need to get a mm-hmm. detail in this specific spot just to make the street feel like a little bit different to some of the other streets and then it's just going to become that like rabbit hole of of details <laughs> you're going to have to stop yourself from spiraling down and constantly tweaking stuff after a certain point but great to see those those details coming together and i notice you've gone to the dark side of using fence gates as branches in trees um <laughs> this is, is something that, is that again the rules? No, it's not against the rules at all. I think it's a really cool thing to do when you start to incorporate fences and stuff in there. I just never get on with it for some reason. Like, I love it when other people do it, but I can never make it look right. I always think that throwing in a fence or, you know, anything that feels smaller than a log to me... I have trouble just putting stairs and stuff into some of my tree designs sometimes because it feels like it breaks with the material of the rest of the like the bark-covered tree. So yeah, like I, it's one of those details that I see other people do and I think, oh, that looks great. I try it myself. Never works out for some reason. So my trick with the
0: fence gates uh, and not fences is that I don't like the fences. I won't use the fences. I find mm-hmm. the fences look really silly uh, because they have a big point that goes down and yeah. the trees don't generally grow down. And so the fence gates tend to like feel like an upward sort of branch. Uh, I find if you put them under a leaf uh, or if you cover them from one or two or more sides with leaf blocks as well, and they're only visible or partly visible, then having the leaf block be in front of them is, is more um, more viable. I think visually the other thing that helps a lot is um, more dense leaf blocks like the new mangrove leaves. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that they hide enough of the, Um, the fence gate that it reads as branches, even though you can't really see the whole thing. Whereas if you use something like a birch block or birch leaf block, like they're just, you can see right through them and you can go, Oh, there's a fence gate in the birch tree. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. Um, I also have much more success with dark Oak. I don't find I can make using spruce fences in like a, an Oak tree doesn't seem to fly for me. I think it's because the dark Oak stuff is so dark. You don't see as much of the plank texture. In certain things like stairs and and fence gates, so you'll get a, away with a lot more, I think, with um, with dark oak. I, I stole this idea from. I mean, I'm sure lots of people have seen it done before, but I stole it from watching Scar. I want to say last season was making dark oak like cherry blossom trees with like pink concrete and stuff, mm-hmm. and in the leaves. And man, it just it really really worked for me. And so I thought I'd give it a go. And again, I find that um it's tougher when you're making smaller trees player scale stuff is always a little bit more challenging so i find one fence gate maybe two we'll get you along um i find too that um mangrove roots can be kind of thrown up in a tree somewhere as if you don't want it to be completely green like if you want to have like more of a branchy quality to the upper parts of it you can maybe squeeze in a um a little bit of of mangrove roots just to kind of have that brown at the top that's not a solid block yeah because that's yeah. the part that i find with trees is really challenging is that when it goes up as a log in Minecraft and just stops, (laughs) like it's just the, the, the giant meter wide trunk just ends and it doesn't branch off in anything. And I find that sometimes it's a little bit harsh, but um, I do find that spruce custom trees are way easier to do than any other custom tree I've ever, I've ever tried because they're, they're so, there's such a simple cylindrical or conical pattern to them. Yeah. You know, in terms of like you put the leaves in rings, whereas like with a, a deciduous tree, like, you really have to kind of be more random, and it's hard to be random with meter blocks in Minecraft. I yeah,
1: yeah. Spruce trees and pine trees and those tend to grow in a much more uniform shape, generally, mm-hmm. like a much yep. more recognizable silhouette than the average oak tree that can kind of grow wherever it wants to. So, yeah, that makes sense. I'm still waiting for Minecraft to make all of this stuff obsolete by actually implementing tree branches in an upcoming uh, oh. like an update but uh, you know that that'll be the day when all of the builders reconsider all of their life choices when it comes to building trees
0: <laughs> moving on into the news we have a snapshot this week minecraft java edition snapshot 22w46a books in chiseled bookshelves can now be added or removed from any slot by targeting the specific slot We also have playable mob sounds. The mob sounds were originally announced in a whole separate article last week on Minecraft.net. We'll have that linked in the show notes. When placing a mob head on a note block, that note block will now play one of the ambient sounds of that mob when the note block is played by a player or powered by redstone. This includes new piglin heads, but excludes player heads. The piglin mob head will now uh, be dropped when a piglin is killed by a charged creeper. Placing a piglin head on a note block will play one of the piglin's ambient sounds, and the piglin head will flap its ears when powered by redstone or when worn by a player while walking. Changes into 22w46a. In the nether dimension, endermen, skeletons, and wither skeletons now only spawn at light level 7 and below instead of 11 and below. This is intended to nerf certain portal-based mob farms. Mojang is welcoming feedback on this change. Added new top textures to block of bamboo and block of stripped bamboo, and bamboo plank textures have been tweaked to match the same tiling pattern as other plank variants. Creative inventory changes, including reordering redstone tabs based on feedback, and adding rails to the tools and utilities tab next to minecarts. Technical changes in 22W46A. Blocks carried by Enderman now use loot tables to generate drops when killed. Changes to texture loading and stitching. Translation files and pack.mc meta are now included in non ASCII characters directly, encoded as UTF 8, instead of using escape sequences. And added new telemetry events. Diagnostic tracking is a tool that helps Mojang understand what players like about Minecraft, which allows Mojang to make those things better. Some information tracking is also standard practice on platforms like Xbox. We'll have a link to privacy.microsoft.com in the show notes. There is a new telemetry data collection screen that displays information about the type of data that is sent. Players can set the level of data sent between minimal and all Required telemetry events include data like game mode, client or server modded status, and game version. Optional telemetry events include data such as frame rates, rendering performance, memory usage, and operating system. The Minecraft.net article linked in our show notes goes into greater detail on telemetry events, as well as texture loading changes and Atlas configuration files. Notable bug fixes in 22W46A, high potion effect duration being displayed with asterisks and the timer is misleading that's been fixed endermen holding potted plants do not drop the pot nor the plant upon being killed endermen holding cakes with candles do not drop the cake or the candle upon being killed and the walking animation of frogs and camels doesn't play when they are moving slowly a full list of bugs fixed in this snapshot is available from the changelog on minecraft.net
1: Well, in the broader Minecraft universe, we have a Minecraft Legends dev diary all about PvP. Uh, The Minecraft.net article also links to the YouTube video about that, uh, Minecraft Legends, the chaotic fun of PvP. That's at youtube.com slash Minecraft as well. Minecraft Legends will have a PvP mode. Well, PvPVP, where the third P I think stands for piglin, if you account the random piglins you'll encounter on the map. The executive producer, Lee Peterson, called pvp a remix of the story allowing you to take what you've learned the skills that you've learned fighting the piglins and pit them against other players it seems like a blue versus orange team format with up to four players on each team ultimately a one team versus one team contest minecraft dungeons also has a couple of brief updates there are new tower rotations once again link to the article on minecraft.net in our show notes starting from this sunday november 20th yesterday the tower in minecraft dungeons is now going to refresh weekly uh, to quote the article there will be fresh loot improved floor presets and some challenges and bosses you might remember from dlc missions the article includes a brief interview with game designers from Double Eleven, 11 mojang's partner studio on minecraft dungeons where they go over some of the additional biomes and puzzles being introduced to the tower as well as some of the development philosophy in why they're making some of these changes
0: So what do you feel about the dungeons changes? I have not really played much dungeons in in a long time.
1: Yeah, I haven't either. I'm not really a dungeons player since they introduced the tower, really. I just haven't had time to go back to it. It's the kind of game I would love to play casually if I had the time to play more stuff casually, but unfortunately I don't. The main thing I appreciated reading here is that the tower is being rebalanced for a more manageable and gradual difficulty curve because I played it when it first released, and there were a couple of floors in the you know the 30 floor ascent that you make where the difficulty really spiked and it felt like if you didn't have the right setup to take on a bunch of those armored guards from the high block halls level uh, you were basically done at that point, and it was really about finding the exact combination of stuff that would help you against those. Um, my dungeons gameplay is always a little bit flawed to begin with because I'm used to the melee-only style that I adopted for the main campaign, but I yeah, I also found that it was a little bit difficult going into some of those rooms if you didn't have the perfect build, the the, the kind of intended way of getting through there, or at least a good strategy. And I think these changes are welcome. It's going to be really interesting to see how it helps multiplayer tower experiences to have a much more gradual ramp in difficulty. And also uh, the the stuff they're adding in from the DLC levels seems to be some of the moving floor sections from Howling Peaks, some of the, you know, slightly more perilous terrain of some of the other levels. There's a bit more stuff from like the Oasis biome in Cacti Canyon, which is very nice looking, I think they're really using some of the assets from each of those levels and calling back to them in the tower seems like a a fun way of reusing that content, but in a creative way. So I think overall good changes as far as the tower is concerned. I was interested
0: about the Minecraft Legends stuff because I think this is the first time we've heard about PvP, right?
1: I think it's been announced that there is PvP in the game, but it's the first time they've really explained how it's going to work. Yeah, I think it's really cool that it's part of the game. Uh, I don't know if it's the kind of thing I do all that often, but I know strategy game players are very keen on testing themselves against other seasoned players. And I don't know; they haven't said for certain. I don't know if this has been like discussed really anywhere. Whether there's going to be any kind of ranked match system, like there would be in something more competitive, like you know StarCraft or whatever. I expect it's going to be a bit more casual than that. But it'll be interesting to see if legends tournaments take place at upcoming minecraft events even once minecraft festival gets back on the road if they're going to have like a a tournament of sorts that you could enter there i think that'd be a really interesting uh way to to see legends going in future
0: there could also be non-official stuff just like people organizing things uh yeah community organized stuff yeah we've seen some things like mcc championships and stuff like that Mm. happening uh and and i i i can see legends being used like that my only concern with the pvp vp or ve depending on how you want to look at it in in legends is one i still i mean again not having hands on i still have a hard time following what's happening on the screen and pvp would be one thing but if you start adding in more things into the mix i can see it being really difficult trying to figure out which are your your units and especially if it's teams like i think Having more than two players would be interesting, but then like, are you all together against the piglins? Are you all? Are you on two teams of two? You know, or is it a, a three or four player free for all where you have to defend yourself against all of the other people that are playing with you? And um I can see that being j- like chaos on the screen. Um, mm-hmm. But again, if if I mean I it, that's saying that without without playing it. And I think that a lot of these types of games, once you're in it and you have your head in it and you're Ramped up to the level of like this is what we're showing in the videos because it looks really cool, but it's probably overwhelming for players that have no idea what's going on, right? So in your first couple of missions as you know a Legends player, I'm sure it's a lot tamer. As with any other strategy game I've ever played, they don't start you off with siege tanks. They start you off with marines, <laughs> you know, and yeah. maybe a vehicle, right? They they give you the the slower kind of um, approach to things. Um, the other thing about competitive play, I, I like you hope it stays more casual because in my experience, when I got back into Starcraft, it was when Starcraft two came out and I really liked it. I had a lot of fun playing. I did enjoy playing the latter. I eventually got up to something like bronze or silver, which is not fantastic, but it's like higher than I expected to get. But after a while, there's a meta that takes over and it's, it's, you have to play this way if you want to win, because this is how all of your opponents are playing. And it was not fun. It wasn't creative. It was formulaic. It was how fast can you click these buttons to get your drones and your dudes to do what you wanted and before the other person could. And I didn't really enjoy that at all. If you want to do anything inventive or outside the box, you ultimately lost. And and so that wasn't very, very fun for me. Um, that said, you can put a lot of that on, you know, game balance and Um, Something that Minecraft Legends has for it that other RTSs do not at the moment that I know of is the generation of the world map. And because that's different every time, that means that the strategy that is quote unquote meta might not be viable, right? It might not work in that particular setup. So that is interesting to me. And so I, I'm not judging, you know, um, the chicken before it's hatched. But there's definitely some concerns I have about any kind of like ladder system. And I don't. The community around Minecraft, it seems to be the vibe that Minecraft seems to be going for lately is more wholesome and more friendly competition. And telling you now, uh, the ladders can get spicy, you know, in, in other <laughs> it gets games. Heated, yeah. And and while there is a new chat reporting tool in in Minecraft, I I don't know how much of that they want to deal with in in legends if they're going to take it into into something like a ladder system
1: yeah i think they'll probably steer clear of the stuff that makes things very competitive and and the kind of ranks and whatnot but yeah i I think it's it's really interesting that this is part of the game um i still kind of wish we got some asymmetrical pvp in in starcraft fashion with one faction playing as the piglins because i think that would still give us a bit more interest in like, oh, this person's choosing to go with the piglin side instead of the overworld side. Maybe that's going to factor into a strategy somehow. Um, But yeah, I I think the fact that we still have some AI piglins in play on a PvP map is a really interesting touch. One of the things they mentioned in the video was in playtesting, they had a couple of situations where you'd wait for the piglins to attack your opponent's base and then you'd attack them from the other side. And so there Uh. was- an element of strategy dictated by the randomness of how this AI faction behaves and I think that could be a really interesting side to it also a side that potentially means it's going to be difficult to judge any kind of ranked stuff purely based on skill if they decide to go with that because you have the luck element of the piglins being in there so I'm curious to see how that goes and I do hope that the meta doesn't just become wait for the piglins to attack and then attack on two fronts but we'll see right um we still don't have a a huge amount of knowledge around how this game is going to operate what the the broader scope of it is I think really I'm interested in the fact that there can be teams of up to four and I wonder if there's scope for expanding things into three or four teams in a free-for-all kind of situation like if you could split up into four teams of two instead of two teams of four there's there's potential there there's a lot of options for them to expand that in future even if it's not part of the project right now
0: if they don't have nicknames for these maneuvers i will be incredibly
1: disappointed like, <laughs> you need like, like strategic names yeah. for the code names for the the especially the plays. if yeah, if
0: you're especially if you're you know on voice with another player,
1: it's like we need to do the
0: we need the pork fork. Let's do it. You know, <laughs> like I, I, I think you need to have some sort of like strategy defense system, and and I just think it'd be very fun to have. Everybody likes the idea of being in in one of those sci-fi shows where you have to like yell out commands, you know, all ahead full, shields up, like just stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yep. And I think that it would be fun to kind of have some sort of like in inside player lingo, especially if it's like the sillier, the better. Right. Uh, and I'm curious about the pace of it, because I was I was a. A turtle player when i played uh terran was my race in starcraft and i just tried to get to siege tanks as fast as i could and basically yeah. made it very hard for people to come knocking at my front door because the barrage of like just shells that wipe out whatever they had coming was would be intimidating and ultimately i had to worry about air defense was my main my main issue to that strategy so from what I've seen, it doesn't look like turtling up is really the best strategy in Legends because it is an action strategy game as opposed to just like an art a real time strategy game. And so I feel like it's more about being agile and being able to switch strategies on the fly rather than having like a, a one strategy to rule them all. So we'll have to see. But it, it looks it looks interesting. Like, I'm, I'm curious to see how it all plays out.
1: You've also got your character in the mix there. Like It's not like you get right. a top-down view of the battlefield. You have to go where your character goes. So mm-hmm. being your camera being tied to that character is going to be a, a significant part of it, I think. Um, moving on to the snapshot. Did you get any hands-on experience with the snapshot this week, or were you just reading the, the changelog this week?
0: I only read the change log. I was busy doing work on, on the Citadel, but uh, I immediately thought of you when I read that the uh, chiseled bookshelves have targeted slots now. Yes! Because I know that's something that you've been championing on, on the show for a couple of weeks now. So like, have you had a chance to mess with them?
1: Yeah, I hopped into the snapshot right away. Like I canceled my plans for that afternoon. I was going to do something else. And I was like, no, wait, they've made chiseled bookshelves what I wanted them to be. And they're great. They're so good. I think they're finally like the feature that they deserve to be if you give somebody a description of chisel bookshelves as they were presented at Minecraft Live i feel like this is the version that they would assume Mojang would make as opposed to the versions from a couple of snapshots ago right like the being able to interact with whatever slot of the bookshelf makes perfect sense to me i think it's what people would try and do intuitively and i think the only compromise now is the inability to place or remove blocks uh, remove books, sorry, from the other faces of the block. So you can't right click on the back of this bookshelf and take stuff out, which I think you could before because you weren't having to look at a specific face of the of the bookshelf. But it's so good that they work this way now because A, it makes the redstone functionality worthwhile. It makes it different to it just being a container. It also means you don't have to interact with stuff twice in order to get a redstone reaction and you can choose between redstone reactions between one and six on your comparator that's measuring this because you can choose which slot to interact with and the other perhaps unexpected advantage is that people can now make pixel art with them because you can control where the book appears in this two by three grid people have been using those to make art And I think that's such a cool thing. I've seen it from, you know, on a a smaller scale, from people just kind of making heart shapes with the books in like a wall of bookshelves to people automating it with command blocks so that it plays like an animated music video in basically monochrome, right? It's either like the shelf is full or it's not, so the empty spaces, the negative space around the outside kind of gives the darker color whilst the books being full has the lighter color. And there are memes in the community where it's like, yeah, people immediately turn it into... Uh, like a music video of something I forget exactly what but there's there's, there's a, a whole community of people out there who are waiting for something like this to happen right um, so I think it's great and just knowing that the, the team has you know been listening to the community and is was either planning on doing this and was just waiting for community feedback to figure out whether they should commit the time and effort to it or they weren't planning on doing it originally and the community has changed their mind, either of those two outcomes is really good for the relationship between the developers and the community, because this is them restoring that faith in, hey, we listen to the community when it comes to making these decisions. And their mission statement of making this an update that was a collaboration with the community, I think, is being fulfilled uh, from what we've seen so far in the refinements to these features.
0: I think it makes a lot of sense in the same way that that you do. I think that, You know, as described, the way that you interact with it now, um, I I agree with not being able to put books in the back of it because like you can't do that with a real bookshelf. Exactly. (laughs) Like
1: you can't force your hand through the wood.
0: (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and because you're targeting in the same way that you can't place a a block on the other side of a block. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you have to place it on the face that you're looking at. So I think that stays true with what Minecraft mechanics are. The thing that I find confusing still about it is, and this is a little bit of a devil's advocate argument because I can see both sides. But um, I do find it counterintuitive that when you remove a book from the bookshelf, you do not get a redstone output of zero, right? Yeah. You still have a redstone output based on whatever that last slot is. So if you have books in slots one, three, and five, and you remove slot three, then the power output is Still five? It's still
1: three because because it's the last slot you interacted with. Three.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah. So that's right. And then, and if you remove books one, three, and five in that order,
1: then the bookshelf is empty, but you still have a power output of five. Yes, and this is what makes it different from any other container. I think the thing about that is like you can still do that with a barrel or a chest or you know some other kind of container that you're measuring with a comparator. The thing that makes this different is that you can interact with it once and immediately change the redstone signal between one and six and yeah it does feel weird that you can't switch it off you can break and replace an empty chisel bookshelf and then the machine would switch off so if you want it to start with a signal strength of zero then you can do that but you can't have it return to zero afterwards without i don't know activating a second comparator from the other side or something
0: right like With a comparator, could you could you control the zero on the other side by having something next to the
1: comparator for it to compare to
0: the, yeah. the power bookshelf yeah, or the, you, the chisel bookshelf? Yeah. You,
1: you could have some other kind of input into the side that would, yeah, prevent it from activating the comparator unless it reached above a certain signal strength so right. yeah the 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 cool part about this for me is as somebody who's needed signal strength 6 for the contraption i made for aging copper i had to have oh, a bunch wow. of furnaces with um you know a certain amount of items in like uh, five sticks in the fuel slot and a stack of something that wouldn't smelt in the in the input slot so that it had i think 68 69 items or something like that was like the amount that you had to have in there for it to output uh, a capacity uh, of, of signal strength six but with chisel bookshelves I could just make a bunch of those put a book sh- uh, put a book in slot six and then take it out again and the signal strength remains the same so all I'd need to do is spend a bunch of wood and have one book and I could turn all of those chiseled bookshelves into something that output a redstone signal of six i think that's great (laughs) like for my specific use case ideal because it's minimizing the amount of resources i put in for the same result across the board um and i think these are going to be really fun for combination locks secret doors it makes it so much more fun imagine now combining that with the pixel art thing and having a shape that you effectively you have one section missing from and you encourage players to solve a puzzle just by like effectively joining the dots you put two books in the the gap where the heart shape is you know missing a side the heart shape fills up door opens and you've done that by reading the comparator signal from the other side it goes 2 and then it goes 6 and then the door opens uh, i think stuff like that can be really really fun to play around with not just in in map making stuff but in survival bases in creative builds you can do a whole lot with these things now that you couldn't do before because simply they've they've made this one change this one very significant change
0: and with combination locks too like you can have an entire empty bookshelf and depending on your redstone capabilities and this is beyond me in my brain right now but i know that it's more than likely possible if you have a number of and gates or or gates in the back like you could put like a you know put your book in slot two and remove it put your book in slot four and remove it and put your book in slot five and remove it and if you did it in the correct order and you activated enough redstone like that could be the way to get into your secret door yeah and then you've left no books in the bookshelf to indicate at all what the possible combination is and mm. all you need is the one book on you right that you can put in and take out and you don't need it to be you don't need to be something that's left in the bookshelf. You just have to have the book on you, you know? And I, yeah. that's, it's interesting. And and obviously the number of combinations are quite large.
1: Yeah. You, you end up with something that's kind of like a, a Resident Evil or a Silent Hill, like play these notes on the piano in a certain order yeah. to open whatever secret door it is. Like, yeah, like mm-hmm. loads of stuff like that is. So, so props to the team for coming through with this feature. I think it's really made chisel bookshelves what they deserve to be all along. Um, we also got a- another interesting change, thinking of piano puzzles and, and weird stuff that you can do with-, with sounds now. We have playable mob sounds in the game, um, which is probably every troll's like <laughs> wildest dream because you can now trigger creeper sound effects without there being a creeper around. And you can do this in survival as long as you have the equipment to get a creeper head, which is not as hard as it used to be now that you have channeling tridents, you have lightning rods... Uh, you know you can capture a creeper in a boat leave it near a lightning rod wait for a thunderstorm to happen and then you know you've got yourself a a charged creeper pretty easily so I expect we'll see a lot more people using this than you might suspect and definitely a prank thing like I can see a lot of players now playing with note blocks on low volume for the foreseeable future just so they don't end up getting tricked by creeper sound effects or zombie noises or whatever it would be playing around their base left there by the the pranksters of the server
0: i can see that too um my after the pranks though my brain went to the very technical very talented people out there that can make songs in minecraft with different note block noises and redstone timings and stuff and if you can get it to work right i can see someone taking these minecraft sounds and turning them into some sort of song now that in addition to um the note block noises we actually have some of the player uh, or mob noises and mob um i guess aggressive mob noises in the game we've seen this i think it was someone at minecraft live that had like a remix where they took a bunch of sounds from minecraft and yeah they this put was look, look mom no
1: computer did that yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: but now that was done out of game with yes. sound files. But this this could mean that there could be more of a thing like that to be done in game, which I find very, very cool.
1: Yeah, the, the thing that's missing from that vision of it is allowing players to change the pitch of the sound or choose a different mob sound effect by tuning the note block. We yeah. currently just have one sound regardless of what the note block is tuned to. So that's a, a revision that I think would be fantastic for this feature, not least because... That's how the game processes some sound events. Anyway, you look at baby zombies; their their sound is just a higher pitched version of the regular zombie sound, and <laughs> the game naturally like adds a bit of variation in pitch for variety, so that every zombie doesn't just have have the same voice. But yeah. I think there's there's a lot that could be said for either that or including you know damage sounds, so the sound of a creeper being hit, or maybe even the explosion sound if you want to like. Tune it all the way to the end, you get a creeper explosion or a creeper dying or something like that. I think there is scope for that feature to expand in a really interesting way. And beyond that, there is scope for them to add more mob heads in future so that they can expand the feature even further, Um, which has led to them adding the piglin mob head for this update, which I think is a, a really cool addition.
0: And it flaps its ears much like the dragon head will flap its jaws when it's powered. Um, which I found out by accident in my Minecraft, like history. I, I put the, uh, dragon head on the front of my cabin in Dartmouth meadows. And I had a redstone lamp with a, uh, light sensor on top of the cabin. And the, the LED light sensor was powering the block next to it, as well as the block under it, under it. So at nighttime when the sun goes down the dragon head moves its mouth and Mm -hmm. i didn't know that was a thing i was like what is going on i didn't know that was an actual mechanic in the game um i like the fact that the piglins ears flap i think that's kind of funny uh i i i i'm so used to having player heads in the game because we we use the um player head um data pack on the citadel so yeah we have the same one
1: on empires yeah
0: yeah so i forget that you have to use a charged creeper to get them in vanilla so i think of them as like just really cool easy to get things in the game but they're not as easy as you think um so there's definitely a a, a bit of a challenge for players that that want to do it i don't know how do do charged creepers do even more damage in the end not the Uh, end sorry
1: the nether uh, they, they wouldn't do in the nether, but the Nether rack is so breakable by explosions mm. that I imagine it would leave a pretty significant crater. Um, I think the main difficulty is going to be getting a charged creeper through a nether portal and not just exploding it when you go through the nether portal as well. I think that's going to be the interesting part, is how players are going to set up either farms for these or set up, you know, on-the-fly instances of them being able to, to bait a charged creeper into the nether. That's got to take some planning. And good luck to you if you attempt that. I I did it in creative when I did it for 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 a video this week because I just thought there's no way I'm going to be able to do that in survival. I love exploring these snapshots in survival. I just don't have enough time to to try that. Um, but then there's there's a couple of um, a couple of things about the piglin head. Like for a start, yeah, it, it flapping as you run around wearing it. That's also really fun. I I kind of wish it prevented piglin aggro. Um, because you, so you're effectively disguising yourself as one of them, but that's also just what gold helmets are for. So I can see them not wanting to shift the functionality there. Um, I, I sort of joked at the time that it, you're, you're likely to, if anything, provoke more attacks because you're wearing the severed head of one of their <laughs> their comrades. Um, but I don't know if it still has the effect of reducing your detection radius by piglins like the other mob heads do. If you're wearing a creeper head in game, you can actually get I think about fifty percent closer to a creeper before it will notice you, um, and so there's there's mechanics behind those mob heads that people don't always know about. But I'm I'm really curious to see if they've uh, included that. And yeah, Saren in the chat has suggested maybe adding a piglin head plus a piece of gold armor might be a deterrent for piglin brutes, or it might cause them to think twice before rushing you immediately. There there could be some some interesting strategic elements to it that would make it worth finding from a gameplay perspective for players like opening up your own chests and shulker boxes yeah without the oh gosh getting if you mad? Do that, that'd be so good if the pig if wearing a piglin head let you interact with chests in the nether oh you <laughs> you you've just made my day with that suggestion joel please i i need that in the <laughs> game now um yeah. that's that's wild um before we move on from the snapshot the other thing they were asking for feedback about light level changes in the nether so i feel like we should touch on that for my money they seem fine um i'm biased potentially as someone who's working on a warped forest with a skeleton farm and fewer endermen around is a good thing there um but maybe a bad thing for anyone who's trying to loot enderpearls from a warped forest because of the thickness of the foliage and the amount of light coverage that you get from shroom lights i find that endermen are infrequent enough there in general that maybe they could do with a bit of a boost but I can understand the reasons behind it because of portal-based farms being part of the technical meta for large-scale farms like that I sort of wonder who's doing those outside of people who are going to put in the effort to heavily optimize a farm anyway and therefore they're putting in enough effort that it doesn't feel like the effort reward balance is necessarily broken there but I'm not certain exactly what portal-based farms they're talking about so I'd have to learn more about those. I originally
0: misread this note and thought that it was for most mobs. Like I included piglins and zombified piglins in that list, which it's not. That's incorrect. And um, I was excited because as someone that is constantly trying to get rid of these mobs in my very well decorated nether halls, uh, I thought, oh, good. I don't have to light things up like a Christmas tree. If I want the nether to be dark and creepy, I don't have to have other ways of spawn proofing everything with slabs and stairs and glass and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was going to be more useful than not. But as someone that has a number of technical farms in in the nether, I, I can see this being very, very helpful in terms of like not having to um, light stuff up or um, having having light be something that might replace some of the button slabbing and all that kind of stuff that you have to do for perimeters in the nether. Like it, mm-hmm. it might help help a little bit for, especially if you're making a smaller farm, like if you're not trying to make a big industrial thing, but you just want something that's going to give you enough you know, uh, wither skeletons to get you going early game, then I think that this could be um, a, a good change in the long run. But again, I defer to more technical players for that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to seeing what the community shares in terms of feedback this week. Uh, but we're going to move on to Chunk Mail. This is our Chunk Mail Dispenser episode, so we love to read a bunch of emails that we've gotten recently to the inbox. If you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. So send them there, keep them short and sweet, and we'll be happy to check some of those out. The first email comes in from Cat with the subject of simple changes to peaceful mode. Greetings, Johnny and Joel. After hearing your recent discussion about peaceful mode and its possibilities, I was thinking about how Mojang could add or change very simple things to make peaceful mode beatable in its current state. What if blaze rods were added to the loot chests in nether fortresses? The loot chests for nether fortresses already need to be updated in my opinion, and this simple change would allow the game to be beatable in peaceful mode. I think this would greatly increase the allure of peaceful mode as I find it somewhat boring if you can't achieve the ultimate end goal of the game itself and not get major end game items looking at you elytra. This could also be an idea for coders who make data packs as adding blaze rods to nether fortress loot chests could be an easy addition and I could see it being popular among people who want to play peaceful but also want elytra without cheating or adding other convoluted mods. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Case of Cat lived happily ever after in peaceful mode after defeating the ender dragon and getting an elytra.
0: So... This is more of a response to like the um, peaceful mode discussion we had in our in our last episode or two. Um, But I am curious because I've never played peaceful mode. Is there even an ender dragon in peaceful mode? Like if you get there, there is a there is a dragon. Okay, yeah.
1: Um, it's It doesn't attack you and it's weirdly harder to kill because it doesn't perch on that central bedrock portal right. for any length of time. It basically goes, it does the the kind of perching behavior and then immediately takes off again. So you can't land melee hits very easily, um, but the, the fight itself is still intact. The main problem is getting there in the first place and then after that, respawning it because you don't have Eyes of Ender or Ghast tears. So you can't really craft end crystals in that situation either one gateway to the outer end islands might be enough uh but yeah if you're if you're planning on return trips to the end that's gonna take a a lot of exploring
0: and that to me i thought was the the downside to that because I, I kind of thought like i don't really care so much about end game and beating minecraft quote-unquote so uh just to be able to get to the end i thought the idea of the loot tables in in the chests in nether fortresses was a great idea because like i don't want to just go fight the dragon what i want is access to the end islands and if i can make blaze rods and and ender pearls and eyes of ender and get there that way and i i could even be happy with showing up and having all 20 gateways just already there you know you still have to go out and look for things but at least you can just go and travel and not have to bridge all the way out to the end island Um, but for me i still miss shulker boxes because you're not going to be able to fight shulkers to get shulker boxes into into uh peaceful mode so i i don't know it's it's a hard kind of like appeal to me i would be more inclined to play peaceful mode with a couple of data packs that would just allow me to craft that kind of stuff with other means you know i, I rather than going through the end and 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 that kind of stuff i think i would go the other way of having like some difficult to craft
1: recipes I'm checking the Minecraft wiki. Shulkers should spawn in peaceful difficulty. Um, they're, they're still out there. They they exist oh, they within to... the world. They're just they're just passive. They don't attack you. Oh, um, oh, well, that's easy then. Which again would make exploring end cities kind of different because a lot of the time I rely on the levitation effect to get up most of those towers, and so right. actually having to like pillar up or use a water bucket or something would be kind of different, I think. But um, yeah, I I I think the the main problem here really is just availability of eyes of ender for for blaze powder and and the crafting ingredients for eyes of ender um you can trade ender pearls from clerics um i think honestly if not nether fortresses then maybe also piglin bastions would be a good place to get that loot because you can imagine piglins having raided a nether fortress they're natural enemies with with wither skeletons so maybe they go there to get uh, some blaze powder and then they they come back Um, you know, there is evidence of them having fire resistance potions to trade you so presumably they can get blaze powder for brewing from somewhere. Like there's, There's a piglin link there. And I can understand them not wanting to add it to bartering loot tables because then you could just hop in to whatever crimson forest. You wouldn't even need to locate a bastion. You just need to throw enough gold at a piglin for it to trade you some blaze powder. And I think one of the problems with stuff like having all 20 gateways accessible immediately in peaceful mode is the ability to change difficulty in a world if you don't have that locked from the get-go so switching to peaceful mode and then having the loot tables in your world change or something like that is maybe a little bit more tricksy on the back end than it would be otherwise like I i think it makes sense to make it a global change for all difficulties so that it benefits peaceful players. I think then you've just got to balance it for the people who are gonna, say, speedrun Minecraft and, you know, that kind of stuff is the gateway to the next stage of the game. Um, I, I think there's there's some interesting balance to be had there, but I can see them putting it in a in a loot chest somewhere. If not, I am almost certain that somebody will have modified loot tables out there somewhere or added a crafting recipe for blaze powder that involves some other ingredients. And I, I expect you'd be able to get hold of it somehow.
0: Yeah, I mean that, that all makes sense to me, and I, it, I, people can correct me in the community if I'm wrong. But I and I'll check with Stephen ESC. Uh, uh, their son is really into speedrunning. I think bastions are part of a speedrun anyway. Like I think that's yeah, kind of you, what,
1: you, you go there for ender pearls for the for the bartering right. trade. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, so that's that's the thing that I think that the bastion su- suggestion is I think a really good solution. Um, just a little bit higher than like the nether fortress loot table but the bastion loot table i think is, is a good solution to the to the um uh rod problem the blaze rod problem moving on to our next email from mcscrew sun recipe adjustments hello pix and joel my dad and i were listening to SpongeChunks episode 202 recently he's slacking i know <laughs> In it, Joel, you mentioned that the Citadel stone cutter is being used for wood as well. My dad explained how it works and he mentioned that he could also get one stair for one plank. I think that you should be able to get four stanger, stairs for three planks because three quarters of a plank leaving you with one quarter left over, those three quarters can then be made up into a fourth stair. This started us talking about recipes in general. Do you two th- think that there are recipes that should be reworked for expense, rarity, usefulness, or just plain logic? One button for one plank? Really? I look forward to hearing your thoughts. McScrewson is laughing at his dad at the kitchen table, head
1: in hands, regretting teaching his child math. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the one button for one plank thing, it came up on my stream recently because I was crafting a lot of buttons to spawn proof this nether fortress. And my main argument for the button to plank conversion, while... It makes sense material-wise, just based on looks, that you would be able to get, I don't know, maybe 20 or so buttons out of a single plank of material. At that point, you're trading amount of material for redstone functionality, right? I think that's what balances it without having to include redstone even in the crafting recipe. It's not like you have to have a plank and a piece of redstone to make a button. Um, I'd need so much more redstone if that was the case. But buttons are really made from the cheapest material in the game. We're looking at wood and stone. Um, I I think it's it's very easy to farm those in larger quantities. So I think what you're really doing there is trading a single placeable block with limited functionality for something that makes everything a lot more functional redstone-wise.
0: Yeah, I could see the recipe for a button ma- making like redstone
1: dust in a plank or. And then you get like four buttons out of it or something like that. Something I, th- like I think that, right, yeah. the ratio is really what throws people off more than the the crafting mm-hmm. recipe, I think.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I agree. I agree Like that it feels odd to have one button for a plank. I have a hard time remembering the actual ratios that vanilla Minecraft gives you because we, in addition to the stonecutter. Um, I guess, crafting recipes that I've made for all wood in the game. Uh, We've also adjusted some of the, the, the way that you get stuff back. But I did it in a fairly realistic way. I only adjusted things that really felt lopsided trapdoors is a really good example of mm-hmm. something that I thought was really expensive and it just really all it is is just lo- us looking at the server as a bunch of busy adults and saying like I really don't want to have to cut down this many trees <laughs> sure. if I'm going to be yes. going through spruce trapdoors like I go through underpants like it's it's just <laughs> it's just ridiculous um joke people um so it, it I think that By having the adjustments in there, um, I've sort of kind of blinded myself to the way things kind of are in vanilla. But I understand how there is a loss. Because if you're, I mean, I know Minecraft isn't necessarily realistic, but I think in any carpentry workshop, there's going to be scrap wood on the ground. I don't think that when you go to set to make a set of stairs for a house, you use every last inch of the wood that you've been collecting and there's nothing on the ground, right? Like you have to cut the treads, you have to do the runners, like there's all these different things. So I think that having some waste is is something that makes sense. That's why in our data pack on the Citadel, one plank equals one stair, you lose that quarter. It just goes away. That's the price of reshaping that plank. Um, in the reverse, when you put one plank into um the stone cutter you get two slabs because there's no loss you just cut it in half right yeah Um, so so that that kind of stuff we've had make sense i've adjusted things like trapdoors i think we get four trapdoors per plank or uh or two i can't remember because i i have it set up so that you can put in planks or logs and get the appropriate amount of stuff so if you have logs you get more than if you just put in planks. It's equal in terms of its distribution, but in some ways it's more than than vanilla. Uh, and so I, I find that that it's just been a, a fun way to kind of add more functionality. Um, and it's faster to craft too. And and I think it's one of those things where the logic in-game, it's it exists for stone, right? You can do the same things with stone. That's part of vanilla. And the fact that we don't have a woodcutter. Um, I think is a bit of a, a bit of a unfortunate kind of like connected logic in the game. We're like, well, I can do this with stone. Why can't I do this, you know, with with wood? And I think that um, that's where our data pack kind of comes in. Um, as far as other things that we I think are either expensive uh, in the game or I, I kind of lumped in a few things that I th- find are just kind of like a pain in the butt to craft that I think would be kind of cool to have like an art- alternative way of getting them. They're not expensive, but I find fences and fence gates a pain to just when you want to make a lot of them. Um, it's the kind of thing where like I just kind of end up setting aside some time making stacks and then just like hopefully not needing very many of them <laughs> for a mm-hmm, while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find wool really expensive in terms of its dyeing, um and inconsistent with other dying mechanics in the game like terracotta. Now, arguably balanced by the fact that you can dye the source sheep and get like, harvest already dyed wool um wool blocks to carpets is an odd sort of cheap way of getting stuff i find that like two wool blocks in for i think it's three carpets that you get out i can't remember exactly but i find that that's a little bit on the on the light side um we have again a universal dyeing data pack on the citadel that allows us to dye wool and terracotta not only in greater quantities but you can actually take terracotta that's yellow and turn it into red or turn it into orange like you don't have to go from just plain terracotta you can dye existing Mm -hmm. Um, i don't remember if we've got wool set up in the same way whether you can dye green wool to white i I don't remember Um, we have a different setup on the server in that we can craft string into wool and we have several spider farms so we can make wool and really i end up just dyeing the wool because what i end up having a lot of is white wool and then I can just dye it to whatever I need later on. Um, but we did this uh, through crafting.thedestruction and destruction spelt with a 7i0n at the end end.ca. Uh, it's a really cool GUI website that we've mentioned on the show before. Uh, folks can go there and make their own crafting recipes. And it's really robust. You can change the way that things are smelted, how long it takes for things to be smelted, and what they are smelted. Uh, you can change crafting recipes, all this kind of stuff. And then it outputs the data pack uh, JavaScript that you can then download and install in your world. And that's how I did the um, the stonecutter, woodcutter data pack and how as they release new things like mangrove wood, I can just add that in to the existing data pack and, and move forward quite quickly. It's a really, really cool website
1: yeah uh to briefly wrap this up my pet peeve is the sandstone crafting recipe you put four blocks of sand in you get one block of sandstone out we know that sand isn't renewable you're already using it for stuff like concrete powder and glass Sandstone is abundant but it's kind of difficult to get hold of because you're having to dig underneath the sand to get it and the sand keeps falling in on you so I really wish it was possible to put four blocks of sand in and get four blocks of sandstone out. I think that's one of the crafting recipes I would change if I had to and as somebody who's built with sandstone in the past yeah it's, it's a real pain to get hold of in larger quantities if you want it for something really big so that's probably the direction I would take it. Moving on to our third email this one comes in from Lauren T the subject being bundles. Hi Joel and Pixel Riffs. I'm a new listener and loving the podcast. Thank you very much. Do you think that bundles could eventually be added into Minecraft? Whenever I start a new world, I always have too little inventory space. It's just because I'm collecting all the different types of plants, saplings, crops, flowers, etc. that you normally would, and only have a couple of these in your inventory. The bundle would be the perfect solution. This would be a perfect stepping stone towards an inventory update. What do you think? Lauren died from trying to cram too many things into her inventory.
0: So this is something we have talked about on the show a little bit before, but given the talk about recipes this week, I thought it would be a good way to kind of put it in there. And I'm going to defer to you, Johnny, because uh, bundles are, of course, in full swing on the Empire's SMP. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't have much use for them in a long-term world. I've got shulker boxes coming out of my ears, so I, bundles are of no no use for me. I'd, I'd probably take a shulker box a long time before I take a bundle. However, uh, so before you get into your thoughts on bundles being added to the game, do you think rabbit hide is the best recipe for bundles. Kind of fold that into your in your response if you can.
1: I don't think it's the best recipe for bundles. Empires has bundles using the leather crafting recipe, ah, and okay. I think that's way more convenient. However, rabbit hide needs some uses, I think, for to justify its existence in the game, because otherwise the only thing it does is craft into leather, or you can sell it to leather workers, and then it just turns into emeralds, and there are better trades for emeralds to begin with. I think it's really just like adding something for rabbit hide to do is one of my only reasons for thinking rabbit hide should be part of the bundle crafting recipe if they're implemented in vanilla but it's it's still kind of tenuous, to be honest. Um, I think a lot of people just don't want to kill rabbits, so that's part of the reason they don't interact with bundles very much. Leathercrafting recipe from Vanilla Tweaks gets around that for us. I swear by them now, and I use them even in endgame. Uh, obviously, starting a new world is the focus of Lauren's email, but they are great for items that you're not going to have a stack of that are just taking up space in your inventory. Case in point, building my copper aging machine. I would run into like inventory issues breaking blocks of the floor to replace them all with redstone circuits and i'd have space in my inventory that was taken up by like two redstone torches that i'm not going to place right now just bundle those can pick up an entire stack of stone and then go and throw that in a chest at the other end of the room so i don't have to make that run back to my storage chests In between those tasks, I can just keep on going. Bundle something else that's just hanging out in my inventory for no reason. I kill a couple of mobs while I'm in there. I've got a bit of rotten flesh, maybe a bit of string. Put those in the bundle, keep on going. No need to throw them on the floor. I can keep them for later. You know, a lot of people are just going to throw that stuff out and let it despawn. Fine. I'm a hoarder. I tend to do stuff that way. (laughs) But if you look at like later game stuff, what I'm doing right now, I have... Uh, a wither skeleton farm in progress, I'm getting wither skulls occasionally, but I also need to fill my inventory with wither roses and netherracks so I can lay out the floor of this thing. Every time I get a wither skull, it's valuable enough to me that I don't want to just throw it away even though I know I'm going to have them in abundance by the end of this project, I tuck them away in the bundle because I'm only going to get one or two of them from every 20 or so wither skeletons that I kill. It just makes sense to have that around and it clears it out of the way for you to get to later. I think the key is to use it for some of the other functional stuff as well, like you want to be able to carry an ender chest, a crafting table, a stone cutter, some of the stuff that you're using on the fly basically wherever you go, but that's three slots of your inventory that you don't want to sacrifice. They're all stackable items, you can put them in the bundle, and that's how I tend to use it. It's like having a utility belt at that point, I just pull some of that stuff out every so often, And I've come up with really interesting tricks for using it as well. If you're planning on repacking the bundle whilst you've still got your inventory open, you can use the four spaces of your crafting, your 2x2 interface in the inventory, and store items from the bundle if you're trying to get something that's in slot 5. Then all you need to do is bundle those four items back up again once you've got the ender chest that's buried halfway down. If you've got a couple of other ender chests in your inventory and you want to pull them to the top of the bundle you put them in the bundle and then you take them out because they become the last thing that you put in they are the first thing that you take out again and suddenly you've got that third ender chest that's just languishing at the bottom of it i think there's little use cases like that that make them into a really solid quality of life feature and the main problem is they're not going to work on mobile because there's no way to hover over things in mobile to see their contents so that's the whole thing that held up bundles in the first place I still don't know how I would resolve that issue because I don't know enough about the mobile side of the game or its development. But I would love bundles to be eventually added in, and the fact that they appear as an optional data pack in the current snapshots that we have is enough proof to me that Mojang isn't just considering getting rid of them entirely and scrapping them from the game as a failed experiment. I really hope they persist and that we find a way of getting them into vanilla eventually because. Having played with them on Empires for a while, I find them not indispensable, but I find them much better for my quality of life than I ever expected to.
0: I will be curious on the blowback if after having these sit in the experimental data pack features on the snapshots for so long that they end up not being put in the game. I'm yeah. wondering how that's going to fly. So I, like you, don't know quite how they're going to do it. I expect they want to do it, but I don't know how they're going to see the final implementation of them. Um, but I, I feel like they're leaning towards doing it because the longer that they're in the experimental data plaques, despite the fact that they're very clearly experimental and labeled as such, I think that people are just going to get used to them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's, it's a, it's a hope, a continuing hope of mine uh, that they're going to be implemented sooner or later. But we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Our final email comes
0: in from Mitch about music discs. Hi, Joel and Pixerevs. Would you like more music discs in the game? And if so, more originals or more remixes of old songs? What do you think of a player vote for new discs instead of a mob vote? mojang could put out samples of three new songs and people could vote on which one they wanted added to the game mitch was murdered by a Lays who didn't like his choice in music
1: <laughs> i think those are called vexes sir vexes um <laughs> dj dj vex <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah right write that one down um interesting concept here first of all we don't really have any music discs which are remixes of old songs, do we? Like that that idea came out of the blue in this email and kind of threw me for a loop because I know a lot of C418's themes ended up getting recycled and used in different ways in some of the, if not the music discs, then the, the overall soundtrack. The kind of da 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 like theme for Minecraft got reused in a couple of different tracks. But I don't recall any of the music discs being what I would call a remix of any of the others. So that's a cool idea in itself.
0: I think it might've been Mitch's way of suggesting, you know, some new tracks without having new music production happen all the time, like having it be not something as labor intensive for for Mojang. Yeah. Um, but I like yeah. the idea too, especially if you've got something that's a more of a somber piece and people like it, but then maybe in their mo- they're in the mood for something more upbeat. So you could have the remix <laughs> of something more somber being like, you know, 60 beats per minute or something that's a little bit more, you know, uh, more energetic.
1: So, some uh, kind so- of uh, electro swing remix of Stahl or something. That would be yeah. <laughs> complete with the flute solo.
0: Yeah, that could be that could be pretty fun. I, I like the idea. Uh, I think that more music in the game would be good. I, I think that more player controlled stuff would be good. I think that it adds more kind of interaction. But in terms of music discs, because of the way that they're played and how they're interacted with, I feel like adding them as like a player vote might not be like, it, it doesn't have the same sort of gravitas that a mob would. Um, it. I can see them adding more original songs to the game uh, in terms of background music. But again, like it's hard to put that on the marketing roster as like cool new feature we, you've got a new music disc. And like, I see some players are like, yeah, cool. Like I'm not going to complain about it, but it's not going to get me excited. So I don't know if they'd take it to a player vote necessarily I could see it maybe happening on like a special anniversary you know like the, yeah. the 20, 20th anniversary of minecraft we're adding new stuff and we want vote player feedback uh, vote for new music that kind of thing but um I I think I would be more interested in more note block features because I think that that would in in a way we're getting that with with the snapshot with the the mob heads. I think that has more player interaction and more game feature tied to it than than the music disc.
1: Yeah, um based on the the functionality music discs have as well like we are close to capacity in terms of the comparator being able to read music discs and the comparator output being different depending on the discs like I think we have if not 15 music discs in the game then close to that at this point with the addition of we've had pig step we've had other side and now we have music disc five is that the one that you you get from ancient cities i forget but like there's there's a, a bunch of them now and i'm always in favor of new music new background music from caves and cliffs and and from the nether update and everything has been great um i would like there to be more but i agree with their focus for this update especially being on like player created stuff and players having input into the game and expressing themselves i think the stuff they're doing with note blocks with the mob sounds and with with anything else they feel like adding to Noteblocks has the potential to feel more player-driven and feel like the community coming together as part of that instead of the work of an individual composer. Much as I admire Lena Raine's contributions to the soundtrack, I think, yeah, it's it's really interesting seeing what players can come up with. And I don't know if I'd want to replace the mob vote with a music vote because, I don't know, there's a, a certain amount of the brainstorming and effort and stuff that must have to go into drafting the mobs but they're all still just a concept whereas in order to road test the music for us they'd have to produce a a minute or so of that music for it to really feel like something we could vote on so yeah I, i i don't know about the vote idea but i i love the idea of there being more music and more ways of expressing ourselves generally um that's where we're going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.com slash chunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show, where it's recorded live in Discord every week. And we also have our monthly Minecraft audio hangout coming up this Saturday, so once again, make sure you tune in for that if you are a patron. Speaking of which, we are currently at 340 patrons, which is up four from last week, so thank you so much to the four of you for hopping on board. And special thanks to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo sale and Yitz for your support on this episode.
0: Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast with a friend. Just tell them about The Spawn Chunks and that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating or a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spunchunkmail at gmail.com. Find the RSS feed on thesponchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast.
1: My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixariffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I try to fend off all of these weird hermit people who've showed up on Empire's SMP. Uh, I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and occasionally make YouTube shorts from time to time. And I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online?
0: Everything I'm doing online, including links to other things that I podcast on, can be found at joelduggan.com. That includes the Citadel Cafe, a sci-fi and fantasy podcast that is at thecitadelcafe.com. And of course, links to social media. It's all Joel Duggan. I'm very easy to find. And of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch. Friday, we have been working on the Mandalorian razor Crest on the Lego Let's Chat. And of course, weekends, I've been playing Minecraft and a little bit more during the week as I'm trying to push to get a little bit more done
1: on the Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks, the world outside is infinite, and you can have on as many stairs as you want.